We continue this morning with the sermon series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. This is number 41 in the series. And by the way, this is number 13 in the great 8th chapter of Romans. I looked at that last night. That tells you something about the letter to the Romans. And as introduction to the reading of Scripture, we have our instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism number one, which will be familiar to those of you who are members here at Covenant and worship regularly with us. But in the light in light of the passage for today, the concluding verses of Romans eight, um, I want you to hear the echo. I want you to hear how this first question and answer of the historic Heidelberg Catechism uh, reflects and, as it were, uh, sings with the triumph of God's victory in Jesus Christ as it is set forth for us in the conclusion of Romans 8. And so, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. And now let us seek the Lord's blessing upon the reading and hearing of His holy word. Let us pray as we sing.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The reading will begin at verse 31. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. In 1978, a new company hit the American scene, a new name, a new logo. It's still around today. After almost 40 years, the number one company... For athletic shoes, apparel, and equipment. Its logo is ubiquitous. Sometimes in advertisements, all you see is the swoosh. And that's all you need to see. Hold that thought. The great eighth chapter of Romans contains some of the greatest doctrines truths of the Christian faith. It begins with that great declaration of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the penalty for your sins has been paid for you, then there is no more penalty to be paid by you. If the condemnation for your sins has already fallen upon the sinless Son of God, then there is no more condemnation to fall upon you if you are in Christ, in union with Him through faith, cleansed by His blood, clothed in His righteousness. And therefore now, in its grand conclusion, the the eighth chapter of Romans soars to the greatest heights of gospel assurance and security, namely that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The chapter begins with no condemnation. The chapter concludes with no separation. And in between no condemnation and no separation, there is the great affirmation. 
That believers in Christ have received the spirit of adoption and are therefore children of God, heirs together with Christ of God's eternal kingdom and for whom all things work together for good as we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies, the fullness of our salvation for eternal life in the redeemed, renewed, new creation, which is coming when Christ comes again. All of these gospel promises are guaranteed to us by the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ and will be glorious fulfilled for us when Christ comes again. So here at the conclusion of chapter 8, the Word of God asks, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, asks these rhetorical questions in order to assure us who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see the connection here. If the threat and fear of condemnation have been removed by Christ's death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, then the threat and fear of separation have been removed as well. No condemnation guarantees that there will be no separation. But we all know the feeling of separation, I think. Being separated from the people with whom or the place in which we feel most safe and secure. It's that frightful feeling of being lost or isolated, vulnerable to things that might harm you. You know, sometimes in grief, someone who has been separated from a loved one by death will say, I feel so all alone, all alone. Interestingly, the Greek word for separate has at its root a Greek word which also uh, indicates, means a territory. And that makes sense when you think about it. For example, when you look at a map of the United States, you see the states separated by boundaries into distinct states. And when you are in a dangerous situation, separated from the people with whom you feel most secure, separated from that place in which you feel most safe, then you're in very frightening territory. And that's the reason that in times of crisis, for example, the 9-11 attack on the Twin Towers in New York City, certainly the, in the midst of the hurricanes in Texas and Florida, the fires out west, or our own personal crises, we want to be together with the people we love. We, we want to get to them. We want them to get to us. We want to be together. We don't want to be separated, cut off. From one another. We want to feel the security of that bond of love. Now we, we see it also in the lives of our infants and toddlers, don't we? 
We call it separation anxiety. A child can be as happy as he or she can be when, when with mama. But as soon as the little one sees the babysitter, or as soon as mama turns the corner in the church hallway to go to the nursery, that happy child can suddenly become overcome with fear and anxiety. The little one doesn't want to be separated from mama. Her presence communicates her love. Her love is the source of protection and provision for the child. Who can blame a little one for not wanting to be separated from his or her mama and unable to get to her, not knowing when she'll return, not knowing what will happen while she is gone? Separation anxiety. And we grow out of that, hopefully. (laughs) At least in terms of separation anxiety from mama. But in this fallen world, you know, there can be such heartaches and fears and pain and trouble that we begin to wonder whether we have been or going to be separated from God. That's the worst kind of separation anxiety. Maybe you know something of what that feels like. When the weight of the world is so heavy upon you, you honestly begin to wonder, you know, does does God really love me? Does God really care? We've heard those crying questions. Maybe we've cried them ourselves. If God really is a God of love, if God really loves me, then why? Those are cries of separation anxiety. And those are the cries which the scripture answers with the promise of no separation. Those feelings are real, but so is the answer. In this passage, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is looking the worst situations in the face and acknowledging the reality of pain and suffering. He's not painting a rosy picture here. He's not being a silly shallow, superficial optimist. The apostle knew what it was like to suffer, to be beaten with rods, lashed with the whip, battered with stones. He knew what it was like to be sleepless, hungry, thirsty, exposed to the elements, to be in danger from all kinds of people, to have his supposed friends turn against him and abandon him, to be imprisoned under the threat of execution. The apostle Paul himself knew what it was like to have the whole ungodly world and the demons of hell aligned against him. And he knew that the Christians in Rome and the Christians throughout the Roman Empire were suffering the same afflictions. And in fact, in its historical context, when this passage was written, it it functioned somewhat prophetically as pastoral care and counsel given prophetically. And what I mean by that is this. In just a few years... After this was written, Emperor Nero would unleash hell on the Christians in Rome. But they had this provided by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to sustain them through the horrors of that persecution. And therefore, moved by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, which are the word of God written for us 
and to us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The list of things which would threaten to separate us from the love of Christ moves from the general to the specific. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Now that's enough to give even the bravest person a little separation anxiety, isn't it? Tribulation is a word which in Greek denotes heavy pressure. The image is that of a threshing sledge which was dragged over the stalks of grain on the threshing floor. The sledge dragged over the the grain on the threshing floor to separate, to separate the heads of grain from the chaff of the stalk. This is the oppressive pressure of adversity which feels as though it is literally going to crush the life out of you. And when you feel that way, you wonder, don't you, whether you have been separated from the love of Christ. Distress. It's an interesting word in that it combines two words. The first of, word, the first of which is stenos, which means narrow. Does anyone here have spinal stenosis? The narrowing of the spine so that the nerves are pressed and pinched. That's distressing, isn't it? The second word is Korah, which means territory or place. It's the root word uh, that I mentioned earlier, for the, the root word of separate. So to be in distress is to be in a narrow place, or as we might say, in a tight spot. To feel trapped. No place to run, no place to turn. Nowhere to hide. No way out. Tight spot. That's what you're feeling when you cry, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the fear of being separated from the love of Christ, isn't it? Persecution, of course, refers to the direct opposition that may come to us from those who hate God and the gospel of his son. It it takes place in various forms around the world. In some places today, persecution means death, and we ought not to forget that. Our brothers and sisters, particularly in the Middle East, are being persecuted unto death for Jesus' sake and in other parts of the world as well. For us, it may mean the death of our reputation, the death of our social acceptability, popularity, possibly the death of some career opportunity. It may mean the loss of friendships or even family relationships because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, and that's very painful. It's very painful. Famine and nakedness in this verse probably have reference to economic persecution, economic marginalization, being being cut out of the deal 
not being able to engage in commerce in a particular community because of one's Christian faith. And that's something which Christians in this nation never experienced until recently. With the onslaught of the sexual immorality revolution, buttressed by political correctness, and strengthened by judicial rulings, which place Christian business people in jeopardy regarding the free exercise of religious liberty in the operation of their private businesses. That's what this is about. And, you know, and now it's the NCAA, it's the NFL, it's the NBA, it's ESPN, and all number of major corporations who have aligned themselves against the Word of God with regard to biblical standards of marriage and sexual morality. That's where we are today. Danger and sword, no doubt, refer to violent persecution of hostile forces, whether they be religious or governmental, or a combination of both, which took place in the first century, takes place in the 21st century. Paul here is, of course, facing the issue of martyrdom, being killed for the sake of Christ. And so he quotes Psalm 44, 22. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There it is. There's the bottom. Death. Death at the hands of hostile, hateful forces. The shepherd was slaughtered. And so are his sheep. Has he been separated from us by death? Will we be separated from him by death? Is this it? Is this the end? Eternal separation? No. No, says the word of God. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the real bottom line. Even the sheep who are slaughtered for the sake of their slain shepherd are more than conquerors, more than conquerors. The Greek says hyper-conquerors, or what we would say is super-conquerors, super-conquerors over all the forces that seek to destroy us and strike us down to death. Super-conquerors? How could that be? How are we super conquerors? Well, that gets us back to the swoosh. Nike. The Greek word for conquer, here in this passage, elsewhere in the New Testament, comes from the root word, the Greek root word, Got it? Nike. That's right. Verse 37 says that believers in Christ are huper nikomen. Sounds great, doesn't it? Huper nikomen. 
super Nikes. Now you think about the athletes who advertise for Nike. They are big, strong, fast, powerful, impressive athletes, champions. And we, we who are like sheep to be slaughtered, we are super Nikes. We are super Nikes through him who loved us. Now, the word Nike is sometimes translated into English also as overcome, overcomers, as in Jesus' words in John 16, which perfectly parallels Romans 8. Jesus said, on the night in which he was betrayed, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. I have nikkeed the world. Jesus said that on the night before his crucifixion. And so the Apostle Paul could rightly say that tribulation cannot separate us from the love of Christ because Christ himself has overcome, conquered the world of tribulation. Nike, or a form of that word, is also translated in the New Testament as victory. And it is repeated over and over again in the concluding verses of 1 Corinthians 15, which again is a great cross-reference to Romans 8. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Nikos. Oh, death, where is your victory? Nikos. Thanks be to God who gives us the Nikos through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we can begin to see how the scripture can call us super conquerors through him who loved us. Because the one who loved us conquered sin and death and hell for us. The one who loved us won the victory over death and all the powers of hell for us. And the one who loved us and won the victory for us has given us the victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the Nikos through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the victim, but he won the victory and he has made us victorious with himself. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us because his love for us conquered everything that is against us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us because his love for us conquered everything that is against us. Everything. All the earthly powers that bring tribulation and distress, all the spiritual powers of darkness that threaten to undo us have been conquered by the one who loved us. And now the passage soars to heavenly heights through the pen of the Apostle Paul under the Holy Spirit as he writes, I am sure that neither death nor life, nothing that can happen to us at death can separate us from the love of Christ. For Christ has died. And by his death he has destroyed death. 
And nothing that can happen to us in this life can separate us. For Christ is risen, and he lives forever, and he reigns over all. Nor angels, nor rulers, the spiritual beings of the heavenly realms cannot separate us from his love, for they are under his command. Nor things present, nor things to come, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nor powers, the dark powers and principalities of the demonic forces, have been defeated by him. And the rulers of the earth are under his power. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Nor height nor depth, anything in heaven above or hell below or any dimension of space or time, nor anything else in all creation, nothing visible, invisible, no germ, no cancer, bacteria, or beast will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because the love of God in Christ for us has conquered everything in this fallen world that is against us. Brothers and sisters, forget the swoosh. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ guarantees that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and there will be no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We win and we win big because the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ guarantee that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We win and we win big because our suffering with him will be redeemed into glorification with him. We win and we win big because Christ has defeated the powers of death, darkness, and destruction. We win and we win big not because we are delivered from all suffering. We are not. Not because we do not face tribulation and distress and persecution in this world. Surely we do and we will. Not because we are spared the experience of dying, for we all shall die. But even in our dying, we will conquer. We will more than conquer death itself. Even in our dying, we will more than conquer the power of death because Christ has conquered death for us in our place. And in the resurrection to eternal life, in the new creation, we will share the eternal victory, the eternal Nike, which Christ has won for us. And therefore, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's your takeaway. If you happen to have a pair of Nikes, if you happen to have a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or warm-up suit with that little swoosh on it, every time you put it on, say this, I am sure that nothing in all creation 
will be able to separate me from the love of Christ. The love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And to God be the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name that your Holy Spirit will implant the truth of your word deep in our hearts and water it and cause it to spring forth and bear much fruit to the glory of your name. Through Christ our Savior and to his praise, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world, as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen.